We started last week by talking about our vision as a church, talking about our purpose, why are we here? And last week, you remember that we started talking about making disciples. That's where it starts. Making disciples exactly where we're at right here. And that's not just my job as a pastor. It's my job as a believer in Christ. And your task as well is to make disciples, reduplicate yourself wherever you may find yourself. As you're going to a destination, as you go along, it's not just going to work, but as I go to work, as I come to the church, you know, <laughs> that reminds me of a story. I was sitting at Southwestern Seminary at Chapel one morning, and uh, the president at that time was Dr. Paige Patterson, and he told us to be careful how we're driving. If you've been on Seminary Drive, you'll know we go right past a middle school. And we have these nice decals that have the picture of the dome, Southwestern Seminary on and some of us were speeding through the school zone because we were late for class. There was a letter from the Fort Worth police chief telling us we're not being good witnesses. We need to slow down. Now, I can't remember pervading what the letter said, but that was the gist of it. So as we go, we are to make disciples. And today we're talking about living beyond ourselves. You heard the text already, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Let me begin by asking you a question. Are you a giver or a receiver? Sometimes people who like to give have a hard problem, have a hard time, excuse me, receiving, and those who receive sometimes have a hard problem with giving. But what are you? Do you have a more desire to give or to receive? And in our passage, we see that God looks at the motives of people. Motives matter because they reflect attitude. Attitude reveals what's in your heart and mind. In other words, what you're really thinking, what you really believe. And there's a contrast in the context, in the text, excuse me, of two classes of professing, of professing Christians. Those who talk the talk but do not walk the walk, and others who are genuine believers who demonstrate the reality of their faith in action. They not only believe what is right, they demonstrate that reality by how they leave their lives. So, do we talk the talk and walk the walk, or we just talk the talk and not care about the walk? We are to live our faith out. For example, do we believe that God wants us to pray? Say amen. Do you believe that he hears and answers our prayers? We believe there is power in prayer. And prayer is our highest priority and privilege. Every time I keep asking the questions, amen, get a little lower. We quote these passages. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. God wants us to talk to him. Communicate with him. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I want the men in every place to pray Lifting holy hands without wrath or anger and dissension or argument. There's a lot of other verses we could quote about praying. So you just affirmed that we believe in the priority of prayer. There's power in prayer and so forth. But why is it when we're confronted with pressing circumstances, do we seek solutions first and then pray about the matter? Why do we spend more time in complaining and crying to other people instead of turning to God first and foremost? 
Or how about this? If we believe that we can pray anywhere, anytime, then why is it when other people lay a burden or a care or a need, why do we wait for them to ask us to pray for them? Why don't we stop right then and there and pray, either in person or over the phone? Now, some of you, I've actually prayed over the phone with you. And here's the question. Are we living such transparent lives that people will see no inconsistency between what we say and what we do? Because that's at the heart of this passage. People professing one thing, but acting in another. So as we think about the passage, I want you to think about this text as well. Put it back into your mind and your heart. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Did you catch the two questions that were asked in the text? We'll get to that in just a moment. But think about that. How do we live our lives as individuals first, but then corporately as a church? And this feeds right into what we talked about last week in our vision. So bear with me as we walk through this. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, or some translations, on his throne of glory. All the nations will be gathered before him or in his presence. What a word picture that's being painted here. It's one of grandeur, majesty, authority, and judgment. All of humanity standing before Christ on judgment day. Think about that. Every nation, tribe, and tongue standing before Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And the separation between sheep and goats in verse 32 alludes to, excuse me, alludes to Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 17 through 19. Shepherds frequently had to separate their flocks this way. The sheep and the goats were intermingled with one another. They often look quite similar from a, from a distance, so they have to go in and actually separate them. Likewise, we cannot discern who the true believers are just by... Uh, some type of superficial knowledge or external appearances. We can't, I, I don't know. I don't know your heart. You don't know mine. And quite frankly, I don't want that information. I mean, think about it. If someone was lying to you, you concern their heart, it would be kind of difficult to stand there, wouldn't it? But God has that information. Proverbs 21, verse 2 puts it this way. Every man's way is right in his own eyes. We like to justify ourselves, don't we? Well, I'm better than old so-and-so over here. I haven't done that. I paid my taxes. I provide for my family. But Proverbs goes on to say, but the Lord weighs the heart or the hearts. So we can fool everybody else and some degree even fool ourselves. But we cannot fool God. Came across this illustration. How many people have heard of Babe Ruth? Played for the Yankees way before I was alive. 
There's a story about him and an umpire named Babe Pinelli. He called Babe Ruth out on strikes one time. Now the crowd of 40,000 people booed at the call. They showed their sharp disapproval at it. So the legendary Ruth turned to the umpire with disdain, and this is what he said, quote, There is 40,000 people here who know that 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 last pitch was a ball, tomato head, end of quote. Now, suspecting the umpire would erupt with anger, the coaches and all the players braced themselves for Babe Ruth going to be ejected from the game. However, the umpire had a cool head, and this is how he replied back. Maybe so, Babe, but mine is the only opinion that counts, end of quote. Here's my point. We must never forget God's judgment is the only one that really counts. Look at verse 34. Come, you are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation or since the foundation or creation of the world. Now, sheep's wool was more valuable than goats. Seemed natural that Jesus would choose them to represent individuals who are blessed by God and inherit his kingdom. And it's a vision here in all its future fullness, prepared for them from prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Why are they blessed? Why are they inherit his kingdom? Look back down at verses thirty-five and thirty-six. They are being blessed because they put their faith into action. They lived it out. Look what it says in verse thirty-five. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, when he makes that reply, it's obvious that they're somewhat confused. No doubt why he was on this earth, he experienced some of those times, but They weren't here when Christ walked the earth. So they're kind of confused. Well, we weren't here. When do we do these things? We never saw you that way. And he replies back, the king, the son of man, which is Jesus, he's referred to as the king in verse 31 and the son of man in verse 34. He replies that they cared for him whenever they performed acts of mercies of One of these brothers of mine, even the least of them. And you see that in verse 40. Now, many understand this to be a reference to the needy people of the world, but who are these brothers? Yes, I think that we should take care of the needy people in our community and in the world. But first and foremost, we need to take care of each other. Fellow brothers and sisters in the faith is the point. Now, I may get in trouble for this, but bear with me. If you look in the book of James, what is he called? Pure and unfiled religion. Taking care of the widows and the orphans. That is our job, to take care of those around us. The federal government took that over. We call it the welfare system. How well is that working out for us? We're supposed to be doing it. Taking care of our own. Taking care of those who are in need. But you know, sometimes it's hard for us to receive, isn't it? We want to be the givers, not the receivers. Sometimes it's hard for us to give. See, it all comes down to humility and obedience. 
He also, uh, as his reply, it parallels 1042. These are the people whose works demonstrate they have responded properly to Christ's message. However humble the situation or actions of those involved. Are we living out our faith? I don't know about you, but when I read this text, three times, oh, actually five times this week, every time I read that part, it hit me pretty hard. Tim, are you living this out? Are you taking care of those around you, those in need? Look at verse 41. He turns to those on his left. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire or everlasting fire. The scenario is repeating itself, this time with the goats. They are doomed to eternal punishment. Notice, as the kingdom was prepared from the foundation of the world, so the fire has been prepared. But look back in verse 41. How was it prepared? Which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Not prepared for them, but prepared for the devil and the fallen angels. Scripture never indicates that these fallen angels had any chance to repent. But we, as humanity, as people, there's not one reason why any of us should share in that fire with those demons and with the devil. Because we have been given the chance to confess and repent. You don't have to be there. You don't have to go to hell. There's been a way prepared. We've sang about it. The grace of God, the love of Christ. You've heard it proclaimed in our music this morning. But tragically, many will reject Christ. And when they do that, they have no one to blame but themselves. As you hear the gospel message being proclaimed today, you cannot go to Christ on that day and say, I never knew. You had a choice. You had a decision and you rejected him. And you have no one to blame but yourself. And of course, the goats ask the same kind of question as the sheep did in verse 44. And he offers a parallel reply. Except he said, when I was hungry, you did not feed me. When I was thirsty, you did not give me anything to drink. They are condemned by sins of omission and commission. Now, sins of omission is something that we do not do that we're supposed to do. What's something we're supposed to do? Worship. Glorify God. We are to give the first fruits to him. We are to make him the highest priority in our lives. We are to love one another as Christ loves us. We are to forgive one another as Christ forgives us. And the list goes on and on and on. So a sin of omission is something that we're supposed to do, but we do not do it. Now, commission is different. It's something that we do not, something that we do that we're not supposed to do. In other words, you know you ain't supposed to do that, but you engage in it anyway. And let me just tell you as a side note, it's a very dangerous claim to play when you know you're doing something wrong, the Holy Spirit is convicting you, but you do it anyway thinking, well, he's going to forgive me. Do not start down that dark path. It will lead to destruction and pain and suffering. And last verse, verse 46, we are told these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, the parallel between eternal punishment 
and eternal life make something very difficult. Annihilationism. Some people say, yes, there is a hell, but at one point God will just totally annihilate you. You'll be totally ceased to exist. No more pain, no more suffering. You'll just be gone. The Bible does not teach that. It's everlasting. Just like there's everlasting life, eternal life with him in heaven, there's everlasting and eternal punishment, eternal fire. Don't fall into that trap. So what does this have to do with our vision? As I stated earlier, our vision starts with making disciples. How do we do that? By living beyond ourselves. Now normally on a Sunday morning before we begin service, you'll see this little thing come up as Forestburg Baptist Church. Living by faith, known by love. That is how we carry our vision forward. We live by faith. To live by faith as is written in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's no longer me in the driver's seat. I've given my life over to him. He is now in control. Every decision that I make, every place that I go, it has to be up to him. From the biggest decisions we make to the smallest ones. In Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In other words, do we really believe what we're saying? Going back to prayer. Does God answer prayer? Yes, he does. He always answers prayer. Yes, no, or how about this? But we are commanded to go to him. If you think like me, sometimes I get myself in a lot of trouble, a lot of pain and suffering because I won't go to him first. I'll try everything else I can on my own energy, my own time, my own intellect. And then when everything else fails, okay, I guess the least I can do is pray. Now, that's the most important thing we can do is to pray. To go to him to seek his counsel. He tells us, if any of you lack in wisdom, ask. And he will give us wisdom. He'll guide us. So we are to live by faith. Our lives should be done in such a way that we are demonstrating our faith our faith out there in reality. People see us living it, living it out. Living by faith and also known by love. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 39. 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself which a lawyer in the crowd will say, well, who is my neighbor? And that's where we get the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, if you know any history of, of Israel, when the kingdom was divided after King David, King Solomon went in and built the temple, and there were some disputes about forced labor gains about building the temple. Anyway, they got upset who's going to lead the nation after King Solomon passed away. So the kingdom divided, ended up going the wrong way. The northern kingdom goes off captivity, and then the southern kingdom goes. But during that time, they were mingled. It was a group called Samaritans. The best way I can describe it is they really disliked or maybe even hated the Samaritans. And it was mutual from the Samaritans. 
So when he's talking to this Orthodox Jewish crowd about who this neighbor is, he tells a story about this guy on the Jericho Road known to be uh, occupied by criminals that would rob people and, and beat them up. And he gets beat up and he's left on the side of the road, left for dead. Talks about a, a Levite comes by, training the priesthood. Not only does he go by the Samaritan, but he goes way on the other side of the road, going out of his way around him. A priest comes by, does the same thing. Now you have to remember the Orthodox Jewish person in the first century hearing this story for the very first time ago. What are they doing? They know what to do. Because he's a Samaritan, they're you know, because this guy's beat up, they go to the other side. But then a Samaritan. And you imagine that first crowd with oh, a Samaritan. What is he doing there? He ain't gonna do nothing. He ain't no good for anything. Samaritan goes to that guy, patches him up, takes him to a place to get more care, tells the guy, let me know what I what I owe you when I come back, I'll, I'll settle the bill. You know what that was like? I have to be very careful what how I say this. That would be like me going to a KKK rally and telling all those guys, a person you're calling the N-word over there, that is your neighbor. That's the kind of force a first century Jewish crowd would have heard that. Here's the point. Everyone's our neighbor. We can't pick and choose. We cannot pick and choose. In John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's easy, right? Can you love one another? That's not a rhetorical question. Can you love one another? Well, some people are waiting for what was it going to say. But here's the qualifier. That you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. It's not just important that I love you, but I'm to love you. The Christ has loved me. How does Christ love you? Unconditionally. Powerfully. Unwaveringly. He loves you even though that you won't give him the same response back. That is the definition of sacrificial love. Loving somebody regardless if it's reciprocated back to you or not. And you follow that out, we are to forgive each other the way Christ forgives us. Aren't you glad that when <laughs> sin will always take you places, will take you further down that road than you want to go and keep you places longer than you ever intended to be there, and when you're in a lot of mild and muck and you realize how bad you, you've messed up, you turn to God and say, oh God, I was wrong. Forgive me. Help me. Aren't you glad God doesn't respond and say, well, I don't know if you're true or not, so you just hang there for a little while. I don't think about it. He doesn't do that, does he? Now, we may have to pay for the consequences of those actions, but the forgiveness of God, he does not hold that back. Then why do we hold that back from each other? Why do we have a problem? I'm going to pick on dial. Forgive me, brother. See how I worked that in, talking about forgiveness, and I'm going forgive me? If Dial was to do something that really hurt my feelings or just was really real bad, and the whole community knew about it, and it's out in public, everybody knows what he did. Once I, I, I'm told to forgive him, that frees me up. Not necessarily for him, for me, because... If you keep hatred in your heart and that bitterness is going to eat at you, it's going to destroy you. 
But once I tell him I forgive you, then I no longer hold it over his head. Then I must go to my heavenly father. Father, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I've forgiven him. Help me forget it. That's on you. Because a lot of people say, oh, I cannot forgive that person. cannot forget it. We know the Bible tells us when God forgives it as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't bring it up again. In fact, I think sometimes, on some occasions, we beat ourselves up, let the enemy talk to us. <laughs> you need to ask for forgiveness for that. We keep doing the same thing over and over again. We're stuck in an auto- autopilot because we can't move past forgiving ourselves. And sometimes that's even harder than forgiving somebody else. So we are to live by faith, known by our love, and this is not in the vision statement. What's the result of this? Be a voice of hope through word and deed. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. We have hope. The hardest thing I am, that I'm called to do is to officiate a funeral for someone's loved one. Especially if I didn't know that person. But you know how I get through that? I know the hope that I have inside. Does it hurt? Oh God, yes it hurts. Because that separation feels so permanent and so fixed and we miss it. Even Jesus wept. When Lazarus passed away, he felt the pain of the people. Jesus was so moved in his heart that he wept. But the hope that we have, that one day I will see my mama again. I will see Tammy's mama again. And the book of Hebrews tells us that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I can't prove this by scripture, but I often wonder sometimes, I wonder if my kinfolk are up there talking to your kinfolk. What kind of stories are being said? But through our pain and through our tears, we have this hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we live out our faith, put our faith into action, and we're known by love. Everything we're doing is driven by the love for Christ and the love for other people. Then that will result in us being a voice of hope in the community. There is hope. And it's not found in the White House in Washington, D.C. It's not found in the Congress in Washington, D.C. It's not found in the governor's mansion here in the state of Texas. It's found in one person, one person only, and that is Jesus Christ. That is what we have. And when you live that out, that's our vision. People will be drawn to it because, hey, these people actually believe what they're saying. We can see it in their actions. They can see it in their lives. They're not perfect. They'll apologize and confess right off the bat, but they are really seeking God. They're seeking after God. Look at King David. Boy, did he mess up. He committed adultery, had someone murdered, but God still called David a man after his own heart. Why is that? Because David was always first to weep and repent and confess before God. Oh, God. 
it's against you that I've sinned. And that's the first step we have to make. When we do something wrong, if we sin against a brother or sister in, in Christ, the first thing we must admit that I have sinned against God first and foremost. And when you take care of that, then you can take care of your horizontal relationships with your brother or your sister. We, living out this vision of making disciples by living out our faith and known by love, when people see that, they'll be drawn to it. Jesus says when he is high and lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. It's not about me and my ability to be a good orator or to be a good preacher. It's all about the power of the word, the power of God. It's not me. It's not Roger, how well he plays the guitar or how well we sing or how long. It's all about lifting up God. When he is lifted up and his word is proclaimed, God has promised that his word will not come back void. It's going to go out to accomplish what it is sent out to accomplish. But here's the thing. I can't, you can't force anyone to do anything they're not willing to do. We're responsible for preaching the word truthfully and correctly. What people do with that, it's up to them. Now, I'm not saying to say, well, it's your problem, you do it. No, we should be compassionate enough and passionate enough about the lost. And I've said this before, when's the last time that you thought the reality of what's about to happen, that Christ is going to come back, or someone passes away from this life, they go off into eternity, and they do not know Christ, has that reality that the suffering and the punishment is real, that heaven and hell are real places. When's the last time that drove us to our knees? You see, people will not listen to words that are not reinforced by practical demonstration. And there is no more pressing priority in this life than to respond to the call of Christ by becoming his disciple through faith in him. That's your foremost and foremost highest priority. Do you know Christ? Now, if you're a member of the church, now if you go to church every Sunday, now if you tithe, do you know Christ? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Relationship to the Father through Christ. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you walking by faith and not by sight? And we demonstrate his lordship in our lives through acts of service. Making disciples, living beyond ourselves, resulting in being a voice of hope. And reaching out to all in need, our brothers and sisters in the, in the family of God and those around us. That's the vision. Next week we'll talk about what's going to come out of that. But this is the basis. This is the glue. This is the foundation which we must build. Everything that we do here, from building a building to making more classrooms, or whatever we're doing, we have to go back to these essentials. Are we going to make disciples? How is this going to make, help us make disciples? How is this going to help us live out our faith, that they will see us, that we're walking by faith and we're known by our love? How is this going to add to that vision and the purpose in which we have declared while we're here? It all comes back to that. It all comes back to that. And sometimes things that we do are going to be so clear. This is what God wants us to do. He's, it's going to be like a, one of those shoots they run cattle through. The cattle can't turn to the right to the left. They have to go straight ahead. That's going to be for us. God's going to be, well, we have to do this. 
Other times, he's going to see, do you really trust me? Let's just put it on. Let's just see if we really trust you, Forrest Brookbath. Just, are you really to, going to trust me? Do you really have that faith in me? Give it to me. Let me see if you trust it. You know, um, I've heard an illustration by a preacher one time. Talked about trusting God. And he was doing a series on tithing. And he told the people in the room, well, take out your wallet or your checkbook and pass it to the person to your left or to your right or forward or back of you. Now, this was on the radio. I was going to work. I couldn't see anybody, but I could hear the rustling of people. And then he said this. Now I want you to tithe the way that you should. And he said, you probably think it's easier this way because you're writing someone else's check. It's not your money, but that's the whole point. It's not our money to begin with. It's his God is the one who gave me a mind to be able to think and to reason. God is the one who gives me strength in my body. I get up every day and work a part-time job. He's the one that gave me the mind, and more importantly, his Holy Spirit within me, so I can read Scripture, understand what it says. It's all a gift from him. Here's my point. Everything that we have, everything we call mine, and here's the hardest thing I had to learn as a daddy. Those girls are not mine. They belong to him. He gave me them to be a good steward and to be a good godly father to them, which I still am. That job never ends, by the way. But now one of the hardest things that Tammy and I have had to do was to pray and say, Thank you, God, we've raised them. They know we're trusting you for you to bring them back. It's a hard thing to do as a dad. Hard thing to do, isn't it, to let go? And we'll end with this. I'm still learning this. I haven't learned it all together. But there's freedom in letting go. There's freedom in letting go. God, if you can take care of my eternity, you can take care of my salvation, you can do all these other things, and here it is. Here it all is. Here's my life. Here's all the junk, the good, the bad, the ugly. God, I trust you with it. Here it is. Nothing that I have belongs really to me. It's all because of you. And you'll call me to be a good steward. We have great day ahead of us, Forestburg Baptist Church. Great days. Is it going to be easy? Uh, no. Will it be difficult at times? Oh, yes. Because lest not we forget, we have an enemy who wants to come in and destroy unity and purpose in God's people. As long as we sit here and clap our hands, go, yay, this is great, and they do nothing else, he will leave us alone. But the minute, as individuals and as a congregation, a body of believers, we really take real say, we're going to believe God, we're, we're going to go after God, the enemy's going to say, oh, you think you're all that, huh? Well, we'll just see. We'll just see how much you know Scripture and how much you really want to follow God. And here's the kicker. At times, God will allow that to happen just to see if we really trust him and follow his word or not. What is God calling you? Do you know Christ? Now is the time. Behold, the day is the day of salvation. If you have, what's holding you back? 
what are you still holding on to, thinking that you have any real control over it? When's the last time that you came down and knelt and prayed? Not only for yourself or for your family, but for the church. Making disciples, living beyond ourselves, living by faith, known by love, be the voice of hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that you keep your word. Father, you keep your promises. You are faithful even when we're faithless. God, we desire to be individuals as a body of believers, people who live by faith and known by love. Because we desire to be a voice of hope, crying in the wilderness and crying in the darkness of this world about the good news of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us. Give us the courage and the wisdom to live out our faith in practical ways. Reaching out those who are hungry and thirsty, people who need clothing and shelter, people who need love and forgiveness people who can see the love of Christ in us. May your spirit continue to move among us this morning and may we respond in obedience to the call you've placed in our lives. Your will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me please?